I think one of the things that would be really helpful to clarify right at the beginning here is filet mignon <laughs> is fancy, tasty, delicious meat. Philemon, on the other hand, is the book of the Bible that we're going to be studying. So I think if we, if we got those confused, you would really be not understanding what we're, we're dealing with here. I have to say this because Philemon, it's not necessarily the book of Scripture that uh, people are most familiar with. In fact, there, there might be some of you that are saying, uh, Philemon, there's, there's a book of Philemon. Uh, there is. If you, if you want to call it a book, it's really, on my uh, scripture here, it's, it's one page, and it might be just one page on, in your Bible as well. I would love for you to open it so you can, uh, your Bible, so you, that you can see it. If you have a paper Bible, you can see the whole thing. On the Pew Bible, it's page 1,000, just even 1,000, so you can find that there. The, Paul's letter to Philemon, and again, not Philippians, Philemon, this is the shortest of Paul's letters, and so uh, the re- you'll find it uh, after the book of Titus and before the book of Hebrews. And the reason that it's there is because the way that our Bibles are ordered, it groups all of Paul's letters together, and then they're not really chronological, they're uh, ordered by uh, length. So it has Romans first, is the longest, and they're roughly ordered according to length, and so Philemon is uh, the last listed of Paul's uh, letters. We don't really know for sure uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews that comes after that. Uh, so that's why the Philemon is, is at the end there, right before you get to the book of Hebrews. And uh, otherwise, if you were ordering it in a way that might make more sense, you'd probably put it with Colossians, because we're going to see really there's a lot of similarity between Colossians and Philemon, and they're written at the same time and probably delivered at the same time as well. So the book of Colossians will help us uh, quite a bit to kind of inform what's going on. I said it's the shortest of Paul's letters. It's just one page. We're going to spend this week and the next two weeks after this uh, thinking about and diving into uh, the book of Philemon here. In Greek, it is just 335 words, and it is the third shortest book in the New Testament overall. Second uh, John and Third John are a little bit shorter. There's no chapters really in Philemon. I mean, you could say it's chapter one, but really there's no chapters. So if somebody says Philemon 7, uh, what they mean is Philemon verse 7. It's just broken down that way. So it looks a little bit different sometimes when it's written. It's a little bit different as well because Philemon is written by Paul to primarily just one person this guy named Philemon, who is the, the recipient of this, this letter. And we're going to see it's written to him, but it's, it's written to be read to the whole church. It's kind of an open letter to him. Uh, but it's written for a very specific situation, and we're going to need to understand that in order for this to make sense. And yet, it is rec- has been recognized by the church as inspired scripture, now, the church does not make Scripture inspired. It is. It's just been up to the church to, to recognize this and to realize this. But the church has recognized that this is inspired Scripture. This is the Word of God. And therefore, we believe that it is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness as all Scripture. 
main themes, even though it doesn't uh, use these words, it's really a letter having to deal with reconciliation, forgiveness. And as we get into it and we describe the situation, I think you're going to see this. And so a lot of, there's going to be many applications, but a lot of the key ones that I want to draw out are going to have to do with those themes of reconciliation and forgiveness. But to really understand this letter, even before we read it, and we're going we're gonna to read the whole thing uh, each week so that you get the overview and then we'll zero in on parts of it. We're going to do one through seven this week. But in order to start here, we need to get the context and kind of the, the, there's three main characters that we need to understand to see how this triangle of characters works and, and fits together. So the first of these is the Apostle Paul. So Paul, he is the, the author of this letter, and we'll summarize and say that Paul, he's an apostle of Jesus, and he is currently a prisoner in Rome. There's some scholars that think he might have been in Ephesus, but uh, we will go with the, uh, the view that this is one of the four letters that Paul wrote during his uh, first imprisonment when he was in Rome. I want to start a little bit talking about kind of Paul, and I want to kind of back up. And I don't want to just assume that, oh, everyone here has been to church their whole life and they know who Paul is and they know what an apostle is. So I want to think about his story because when we think about Paul's story and his background, I think this is going to uh, give, give context, give texture to this whole letter and what's going on here. So this guy named Paul or Saul, he really had two different names. Uh, this wasn't actually a situation where God changes his name. Uh, he always had both of these names. Saul would be his uh, Hebrew version of his name, and Paul was more of his, uh, his Greek version of that. He was born in the city of Troas, uh, and because of that, he was, although he was a Hebrew, he was a Jew, he was born as a Roman citizen, uh, which gave him certain uh, rights and, and privileges. Uh, it also gave him a certain... Um, kind of uh, education, things that he grew up in, kind of with one foot in the, the Roman world and one foot in the, uh, the Jewish world. And he grew up, he was trained as a Jew, as, as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were kind of this organization within the Jews that they, were, they weren't the same thing as priests, uh, but they were kind of this organization that was designed to promote strict obedience to God's law. In the Old Testament, the uh, Jewish people, Israel, had been conquered because they kept straying away from God's law. And the, the Assyrians came and they wiped out the northern kingdom. And Babylon uh, wipes out the southern kingdom after uh, just God had sent prophet after prophet warning them. And so the uh, Pharisees in the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament were kind of developed uh, first with good intentions, saying, let's not make that mistake again. Let's have this organization we are devoted to uh, teaching uh, the, the Jewish people God's law so we don't disobey it and we don't fall into this type of judgment again. So it started with good motives, uh, but also over time, they decided to uh, have other rules so that if uh, sinning was falling off the edge, they said, well, let's put like a, like a fence before you even get to the edge. And in a lot of ways, that can be a really good, helpful thing to do. 
But over time, the focus became on their man-made fences and not actually on God's law. And it started to have the idea for them that really to be right with God was about this strict rule-keeping, especially keeping these rules that they would come up with. So Paul was raised in this. He studied, uh, the scripture tells us, under the feet of Gamaliel, uh, which is one of the, the, uh, the premier you know, teachers of that time. And in Acts 22.3, uh, Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So the thing about Paul is he was really good at law-keeping, at rule-keeping. And he found his, his identity in that. He found his pride before God in that. And he thought, if anyone is going to be, you know, God is going to be pleased with, it's me, because I keep God's rules. And all of these, the rules of the Pharisees. Now he started hearing about you know, this one that was uh, in uh, Israel, in um, Judea, and in Galilee, that it's uh, this guy, Jesus. And this guy that's, rumors, this guy is causing trouble. You know, he's teaching things. He seems to be blowing off the law of the Pharisees, and which they took that, well, the law of the Pharisees, that's obviously the law of God. And this guy is going around, he's teaching different things. He's teaching kind of his own authority, and here's, you know, these different reports about what is going on. And that this guy, uh, Jesus, you know, he's some kind of troublemaker, a blasphemer. You know, he's making himself out to be equal with God. Things that he is claiming. That how could you, in the world, could you say the things that Jesus says, you know, unless you were God? You know, you're claiming to be equal with God. And obviously you can't do that. And this Jesus guy, he's teaching that salvation is through him, and it's not by keeping the law. Again, disrespecting, blowing off all these, these rules that they have, that Paul has spent his life being really good at keeping these rules. And Paul hears that this Jesus was killed on a cross, and probably thinks, well, good, that's what he deserves, that's what blasphemers should get. And he hears that there's rumors that this Jesus uh, is Followers are claiming that he, he rose from the dead on the third day. And now, all these followers of Jesus are, are going around causing more trouble. They thought they had this stamped out when they got rid of Jesus, when they, when they killed him. I mean, if you take this guy that's supposed to be the Messiah, the, the, the king of the Jews, and you make him die a shameful death on the cross, I mean, that should be obvious that he is not God's chosen one. God wouldn't let that happen to his, his, his son if, uh, if this was real, he wouldn't let them be butchered and humiliated on a cross. But now these Christians are going around and causing more trouble and these things are spreading. So Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm zealous for God. I am here to do his work. And so he was active in, you know, we have this blasphemy going on with Jesus. We've got to stamp this out. And so he was active in uh, helping to crush this spread of these followers of Jesus Christ. In Acts 7, it says he was there when there was this guy, Stephen, that he was, he was stoned to death, and good riddance to him for uh, telling everyone, trying to spread all this, this false news about uh, Jesus Christ being risen from the dead and him being the Savior. 
And then uh, Paul or Saul here was still really active in doing this. In Acts 8.3 it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he's going around, he's hunting Christians. And he's finding them men, women, and, and putting them in prison. And viewing that this is God's work that he believes he is doing. That God is pleased with him for being active in, in crushing this blasphemy that is going on. And then Paul is on the road to Damascus. And he's going there to round up more Christians. And as he goes, there's this light there's this figure that appears to him, and he sees this. The, the people around him, are they don't know what's going on. And the book of Acts says, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So the Lord Jesus who had already died and had risen and ascended, makes a special appearance to Saul and uh, tell him, why are you persecuting me? And through this, Paul is converted. He is transformed. He goes from being a persecutor of Christians to understanding and realizing Jesus really has risen from the dead. And he has seen him. This wasn't actually just an appearance. This was actually Jesus came down and he saw him in, in his flesh, in, in his glory, and uh, was called by Jesus to be a Christian, to be a, a disciple, a follower, and also called to be an apostle. Now, every follower of Jesus is a disciple. That's what disciple means. So I hope you are a disciple of Jesus, but not every Christian is an apostle. That was a special thing for the early church, and they are ones that were sent with special authority from Jesus. And they were to, to found the church, to be the ones to, to get this going. And so you had the, the original 12 apostles. Uh, and then there was uh, some, maybe a few others. And Paul was a special apostle designated by Jesus and sent with authority. And they did. They taught with authority uh, that was different than... Um, the authority that, you know, Pastor Nick and I have, we communicate God's word to you, uh, but the apostles had special authority and oftentimes were writers of scripture, you know, as well, or at least associated with uh, all the New Testament books that we have were either by apostles or somebody very closely associated with them uh, that teamed up probably with an apostle to have these things written. So he had the special authority and his mission uh, specifically was to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. That's those that are not Jews. So if you are here and you are not ethnically a Hebrew person, uh, you'd be very thankful for the Apostle Paul that started this. And others joined in. He had many co-laborers as well, but he had a special assignment to take the gospel message uh, around you know, the known world at that time in the Roman Empire and to spread this. So he was saved, he was transformed by this, and the book of Acts records three different journeys that he went on, missionary journeys, uh, where he went planting churches, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the God-man, that he, that he came and he lived this perfect life and he died and he rose in fulfillment of Scripture, and that it's through faith in him and faith in him alone that we're saved, by faith alone 
that we receive the salvation that is given to us by, by grace alone. It's a free gift. Paul realized all his law-keeping that he did amounted to nothing in God's eyes. And he really wasn't keeping the law perfectly anyways. But even if you supposedly could, that's not how you get saved. It's by putting your faith, your trust, wholly in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, as the one that died on the cross for you. That's the message that he wanted people to know. On his second and third journeys, he spent time in Ephesus, a city uh, in what is now Turkey. The last time he was there, he was there for two years. And while he was at Ephesus, um, that probably there was a convert there named Epaphras. And Epaphras is probably the one that took the, the message of salvation in Christ uh, kind of up the river to a city called Colossae and started the church there in Colossae. Colossians 1.7 references that. Paul returns to Jerusalem, and then he's arrested. So he used to have other Christians be arrested. Now he's arrested, and the end of the book of Acts talks about his time in, in prison. Uh, there he spends time in Caesarean prison. And then because he's a Roman citizen, because he was born in Tarsus, he is able to appeal this decision to Caesar. So they put him on a boat and they ship him off to Rome, uh, where he is in prison. At this time, actually more of a house arrest, but he'd be chained to a guard in kind of his own probably rented quarters. But he's under arrest there and probably spends two years there awaiting trial. And during that time, he writes uh, what are called the prison epistles. These are letters, that's what an epistle is, that he wrote while in prison. And these are the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And this is probably around the year AD 62. So that's our first person, the Apostle Paul. And that's kind of his background. This is what's going on. This is where he's writing it from. The second one is Philemon himself. This is the one that the, the, the book is written to. And Philemon was, we'll summarize, he was a well-to-do Christian in the city of Colossae. That's why I spent time talking about how the gospel spread to Colossae, kind of where it is. Uh, because uh, yeah, Philemon here, he's uh, from Colossae. I have a map here so you can see some of this. Uh, it has a zoomed-in portion for Ephesus and uh, Colossae. They're pretty close to each other. Uh, so Paul, uh, as far as we know, at least before this letter was written, hadn't been to Colossae, but uh, spent a lot of time in Ephesus and Epaphras, um, and maybe others took the gospel message to the city of Colossae. Uh, but now Paul is, he's way over, he's about a thousand uh, miles away in Rome where he is in prison, uh, kind of awaiting this trial. And probably what happened, he's waiting for his accusers to show up and they probably realized they don't have a case because it was all trumped up anyways. So he probably had to wait for the uh, time to expire and then he would be, be released. And there's some hints in the letter, it might be nearing the end of that time and Paul is hopeful that he'd be released. So Philemon, from some of the things uh, that we know, uh, that he is a Christian, and as we're going to look at some clues in the letter, he probably became a Christian through Paul, and maybe at Ephesus, uh, through that time of ministry there. Uh, again, he lived in Colossae, which is up the river from Ephesus, and we say he's well-to-do, uh, we get that from at least two things. The church in Colossae meets at his house, so churches would meet in homes, and usually it would be somebody with a sizable home. Uh, sometimes homes back then would have even a, like a courtyard, and 
Uh, it might not be you know, hundreds of people, but you could have a good amount that were there. So probably uh, it's one clue that he was at least somewhat well-to-do. And we're going to see he had at least one slave. And this brings us to the third important character in this, which is Onesimus. And this is Philemon's runaway slave who has become a Christian. So I mentioned Philemon has at least one slave, and this is something we're going to have to talk about more in this series as we go, uh, that whole issue. But this is very common in those days. Uh, lots of people had slaves. This was a big part of their culture there and really all across the world. Probably in the city of Colossae, probably 30%, if not more, of the population there were slaves. Now, slavery in those days, and as I said, we'll talk about this more in other messages, uh, there's things that may come to mind that we have to realize are a little bit different than what might automatically come to mind for us. First, a big difference with Roman slavery was that it was not race-based. So you could not tell in that day who was a slave just by looking at them. It didn't necessarily mean uh, that you had a you know, different color skin or anything like that. So it was one very big difference. And also those that were slaves in those days too, uh, it, it was, um, they could be used in a variety of different ways. Yeah, there were some slaves that you're a slave, you're working in the salt mines and you're probably going to die young and it's miserable. And there were other slaves they didn't have their freedom, but they're being used in other ways, um, even as doctors, musicians, uh, teachers, uh, a variety of different ways, you know, stewards of households, different things. So my point in this is not to say that uh, Roman slavery was, was all hunky-dory. We'll talk more about these things. Uh, but, also, but primarily right now, just to realize that it, 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 it's not a one-to-one with what we're thinking of with uh, slavery in the, in the Americas and in the, in the New World. Onesimus, his name actually means useful. Uh, so I think it was given to him. Uh, it could be that he grew up as a slave, and that's why he acquired this name. A lot of times slaves in those days were either prisoners of war or oftentimes, at least for Roman slavery, uh, that you could be born into slavery as well. But Onesimus, when he's there with Philemon, he's not a believer. And we're going to see this from clues in the letter. He, he wasn't a believer. And then what seems to have happened in this story, and this all sets up the context for this letter, is that Philemon probably stole some things from Onesimus and took off. That uh, he, he became a runaway. And we don't know the exact reasons. Uh, we don't know how much of it, you know, if it, was on him, how much of it, if he was being treated well or if he wasn't being treated well. But from clues in the letter, he seems to have stolen, and that's oftentimes runaway slaves would do that. They needed some resources, so they'd grab what they could, and then they would take off. And so he was a runaway slave. And this was, especially under Roman law, uh, this, was, this was a big deal. This would make him a fugitive doing this uh, for being a runaway and for being, for being a thief and uh, he probably wanted to get as far away as he could, and so he ends up somehow a thousand miles away in Rome. And somehow he comes in contact with Paul. And we don't know exactly the story there and how that happened. Was it an accident? Uh, was it you know, a providential accident that God put together? Did he go there somehow seeking out Paul? Maybe he knew of him. 
uh, because of, through an SMS and Paul's time that he was in Ephesus doing ministry, you know, maybe they had uh, gone there or connected with him. We don't know. Maybe, so we don't know if it was an accident or if he sought out Paul, but one way or another, he comes in contact with Paul and Paul presents the news of salvation to him and Philemon here becomes a believer. So he gets saved. He goes from being unsaved and being, having the destiny before him of, of condemnation to being saved, to being put in Christ and having a future uh, of uh, forgiveness and eternity with the Lord and just a, a changed heart and a changed mindset. And we see he was transformed and he becomes useful to Paul in his ministry. Now he knew that he had done wrong to Philemon by stealing from him and at least in the eyes of the Roman law by, by running away. So now the question is, what is he to do? He ran away. Uh, he is with Paul. He's a believer now. But there's a situation between him and, and uh, Philemon. Now, Paul knows both of these guys. He knows Onesimus. He's become very dear to him. He knows Philemon as well. And so, Paul writes this letter. And along with the book of Colossians, Paul sends Colossians and Philemon with another guy named Tychicus and Onesimus back to Colossae. So they come and they have the book of Colossians and probably Philemon that they bring to the Christians there. In Colossians 4, 7 through 9, it says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. With him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. All right, so now we have the context. We could have just read the letter and then tried to figure this out, uh, but hopefully reading this through will make a lot more sense now that we have the basics of this. So we're going to read, like I said, the whole thing. Uh, I think we'll do this each week. Okay, it's not a long letter, and I'm not super worried that you've been just worn out with Philemon, you know, reading it over and over every single day. So I think it's okay if we, if we read the whole thing. Plus, I want to ha- have you have the context of the whole letter as we do the applications for today. Okay, Book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Ephia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is, that is us for the sake of Christ, that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So that's kind of the introduction, and now it's the part where he's going to get to, this is the real purpose of the letter. Verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, 
an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So that's the whole book of Philemon. So you can see it's this personal letter, and it is being written by Paul for the purpose of reconciliation and forgiveness between Onesimus and Philemon, to bring them kind of back together. Now that they're, they're all in Christ, and you have two that are, uh, well, each of these, there's one time all of them were not Christians, and they were in their sins, Paul included. But now they are in Christ, they know the forgiveness, the reconciliation that comes in being in Christ, and Paul is encouraging them to be reconciled uh, to, to each other. So we see the big purpose, if we want to summarize uh, kind of what we're, we're dealing with next. Paul writes to Philemon as an agent of reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon. And what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to work through the first seven verses here to give ourselves, uh, so we can look at this a little more in depth as we think about this. And we will draw out at the end a few applications, specifically dealing with reconciliation, because I think it's the whole letter is about this. So it starts in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So Paul here, he is the author of it. Letters in those days would start with the, the author listed first. And he refers to himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now this actually stands out if you've read a lot of other of Paul's letters. Oftentimes, he identifies himself as apostle right off the bat, you know, letting you know that he has God's authority as an apostle. He is commissioned by this, and Philemon you know, definitely knew that, and Paul definitely 
was still claiming to be an apostle, but he doesn't list that here. And so you kind of ask yourself, why is that the case? You know, he focuses and said that he's a prisoner. And that's how we know this is one of the, the prison letters that Paul has. But I think there could be a few reasons. I think one is we see he's trying to implore uh, Philemon to be reconciled with uh, Onesimus. You know, as he's going back, you know, and under the Roman law, think of all the ways that Philemon, you know, could have pressed charges and retaliated against his runaway slave. You know, I mean, this could be, you know, terrible for uh, Onesimus if Philemon wanted it to be that way. And so Paul is pleading with him to have, have forgiveness, to have compassion, to treat him differently as, as someone in Christ. And I'll say this, and we'll get to this in a later message, you know, is Paul also hinting at here, at, at least hinting, that he would love to see uh, Philemon set Onesimus free. But at the very least, he's trying to send them back so that instead of being in hostility to each other, there can be forgiveness, there can be reconciliation uh, between the two of them. So I think he's maybe leaning into a prisoner instead of apostle because he doesn't want this ideally to be something where Onesimus or Philemon just has to obey because Paul is putting the, the clamps on him. I'm using my authority, you better obey. You know, sometimes we do to our kids, you know, you better say thank you. Okay, thank you. And they do things, but it's not really from the heart, it's from authority. And there's times we need to do that. There's times where that's good training for the kids, but eventually we want that where it's coming from their own heart. And so when we read this letter, we see Paul is wanting uh, Philemon to do this voluntarily from his own heart. So I think that's part of a reason why he identifies himself as a, as a prisoner instead. It also reminds Philemon that Paul is, is suffering the loss of his freedom for Jesus Christ. You know, the one who had put people in prison, he's a prisoner now um, because he loves Jesus and he's, he's serving him. And so this, Paul is not, you know, clinging to all of his rights and his privileges. Uh, Martin Luther said about this, Paul empties himself of his rights to compel Philemon also to waive his rights. So Paul is trying to persuade, not force, but persuade Philemon to do the right thing. It says in verse 1, Timothy also is the one, uh, kind, kind of a, a co-sender with this, uh, but really it's primarily from Paul, and in the words that follow, it's from the first person uh, singular, so Paul is the primary author of this. And then it says to Philemon, our fellow worker, we've talked about Philemon, but look, it calls him a, a beloved fellow worker, so, just look at the word beloved means this is, a, this is a dear friend of Paul. This is someone that, is, uh, that, that he loves, that he, he cares about, calls him a fellow worker, that they had been involved in, in doing ministry together. And when you do that together, there's, there's a commonness that you have, that you partake together. That's why it's so good that, you know, as a church, you know, we can, we're in God's mission that he has for us and we can do it together. There are times we scatter and we do our own thing and we are serving in, in the workplace or as we go, but we're all pulling towards the same goal of making disciples for Jesus Christ and helping him to be lifted up. I love things like the trunk or treat coming out, and I hope you're involved with that in one way or another, even if it's praying for that, because it shows that we're fellow workers working together for these, uh, the, 
in the mission that God has given us. So Philemon, say, hey, you've been a fellow worker with me. We're, we're in this serving Christ together. Remember, we serve a bigger purpose than just our own agendas. It also talks about Aphia and Archippus. And we can't say this for sure, but that might be uh, Philemon's wife and maybe his son. Calls Archippus a, a fellow, uh, well, it talks about a fellow soldier uh, that probably isn't literally soldier, um, but maybe like soldier in the Lord, I'm referring to him that way. But we don't know for sure, but good chance maybe it's Philemon's wife and son. But it also says, and the church in your house, which we need to realize it's kind of weird to have a whole church building that's put in your house. And you realize, okay, that's not, how it, that's not how it works. But, you know, that's a reminder to us, if the church meets in your house, that means the building is not the church. You might say we come to church here, uh, but remember the, the, the building here, this is not the church. This is a building where we meet and we try to be good stewards of it, but the church is the Christians. And especially we come together as a church, we come together as, as God's uh, people gathered together uh, to worship and to serve him together. And so that's why a church can meet in somebody's house, but it is because uh, the church is not the building. Those of you that are in small groups, you're a part of the church that I pray will be meeting in, in homes uh, you know, later today. And you have that uh, smaller kind of feel to it. Uh, but as we said, uh, Philemon probably had a bigger home, so a lot of people could meet in his house, maybe even had a courtyard or something like that. And at that time, Christianity was just starting. And it wasn't about having big cathedrals and big you know, gigantic buildings. And so they would meet together. That was the important thing. And they would meet in homes. Um, something to remember, you know, if there's, uh, and, and if you're watching this, you know, online, I'm glad that you were tuning in, but there's something good and beautiful about meeting together. And I hope that we're able to do that whenever we can. That is our, our calling to do this. And it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty standard uh, greeting. So working through this, we move on to verse 4. There he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. So Paul thanked God in his prayers for Philemon. He would actively remember him and, and thank the Lord for him. And this is giving us some insights into what this Philemon guy is like. You know, he's not coming across as a scoundrel or somebody that is, you know, self-interested. Paul is really referring to, you know, the, the good things about him and appealing to, to the good that genuinely is in him. I don't think he's just buttering him up. I think he is, these are true things and he's appealing to the good that is in him. Uh, he's thankful. It says, for Philemon's love and his, and his faith towards Jesus Christ, and it says for all the saints. And those aren't just special Christians. The saints are all the Christians. If you are a genuine Christian, if you've been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you are a saint, a holy one set apart for God. And uh, we see here that Philemon also, it seems like he had active, practical love towards other believers. It wasn't just a feeling that he had, but it was something he put into practice. And so in a way, I think maybe Paul is kind of saying, Philemon, you love all Christians. This is a great thing. 
Remember this when I tell you about Onesimus. Remember how you feel about all Christians, all those who are in Christ with you. And verse 6 says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Um, this is kind of a difficult verse to interpret. And some of the commentators even say this is kind of a tough one because it could be, it could mean a variety of different things. Uh, we say in our English version, um, it's the sharing of your faith. Sometimes we may take that to mean, oh, you're sharing the gospel. You're presenting the faith to other people. You're, you're telling other people about Jesus Christ. And good chance Philemon was doing that. Uh, but it, this actually might mean something a little bit different because sharing there is actually the, from the word koinonia. And it's a word that means fellowship. And when we say that, you could think the wrong thing too because it doesn't mean just drinking coffee and, and talking in the foyer. Uh, or, you know, having some cake together. But it means this idea of commonness, of sharing and partnering together, in, not just in life, but in, in ministry, in God's work. You know, part of being a co-laborer, part of being part of the, the same body, a connectedness that they have towards each other. And all of this is for the sake of Christ. It's for him. It's for his glory. And so Paul is reminding him of these things, but he also he's putting him in this right mindset for what he's going to ask him to do. Remember your love for Christ. Remember your love for uh, God's people. Remember that it's all for his glory. That's what, really, that's what really, really matters. And we're all in this together for the glory of God. And then verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So we see here, this is great. Paul has derived joy from him and comfort from him, from his love. So Philemon had loved active love, and because of that love, it gave Paul joy and comfort. There were a lot of things that wouldn't give him joy and comfort. He was in prison. He has gone through lots of hardships. So to have somebody that is actively doing things that help him to have joy and to help him have comfort is a really, a really good thing. And I love the phrase that says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I think Paul's heart has been refreshed, and other believers, their hearts have been refreshed through the, the activity and the action that Philemon has done. I'm going to give just a few things. So there's more of the letter but I want to think just briefly at the end, and hopefully you can take time to think more about these things and how God would have you apply them. But the whole purpose of this letter we're going to see is towards reconciliation. This is just the beginning of this. But we have these three characters. And I want us to think a little bit about how God was working through them and they were using themselves to be used towards this ministry of reconciliation. And one, we see that Paul was proactive as an agent for reconciliation between two people that he genuinely cared about. We can tell in this letter, he loved Philemon, and he loves Onesimus. He has good relationship with them, but Onesimus and Philemon are not in harmony. They need reconciliation. And so Paul was writing this letter to act as a, as a go-between, as a, as a mediator, to do what he could to help this situation to bring these two, uh, now both believers, you know, back together. And we see him being active in this. 
and doing what he could do, not forcing it. You can't force it, but trying his best with God's help to be active in doing this. And I think one thing that we can think about as an application for all of us, can you be used to close the gap between others? Are there people you know about that maybe they are not in harmony? That there is uh, hostility, there is, there is separation. And can you be used in their lives? You can't force it. Don't try to just make it happen. But how could you be used as a catalyst to help there to be healing, to help there to be reconciliation? And of course, ultimately, this works because Philemon and Onesimus are both believers. They're both in Christ. And so part of that, you know, is not just forcing two unbelievers to, to come together. That, that might be good, but the way that it's really going to work is if they can be reconciled with God first and have that commonness of being in Christ and then helping them to come together with that as their foundation. You know, as we see Philemon and what Paul says about him, we see that Philemon's Christian character primed him for reconciliation. You know, we have this letter, and when we get to the end, we're going to see that, you know, we don't know for sure how it turned out, although there's some things that uh, we can make an educated guess on, but it's based on who Philemon seems to be that seems to make it like there's a, a good possibility of this. If he was the opposite, if he cared about himself instead of the glory of God, yeah, good luck. You know, if he was somebody that had a track record of not caring about other Christians, uh, not caring about the Lord, ooh, that's going to be tough. But with all these things that were true about Philemon, he was primed for this reconciliation. So for you and I, what are we like? What is our character? Do we have love and faith towards God? Do we have love towards uh, other Christians? Uh, not just because we like them or they're, they're nice people or we like being in their friendship group or their, their status and what it does for us, but because they're fellow believers in Jesus and that we recognize that and we value that. Are you putting that into to action? I love it when it says that he refreshed Paul's you know, heart. And the word there doesn't actually, um, it's a Greek word that is splancha, and it doesn't refer to like the, the heart you know, your cardiovascular system, it's more your intestines, your guts. He, he, he warms his, his feelings inside, his, his emotions, his, his feelings. Isn't it great that we can do that for each other? You know, I thank you for people in this congregation that through words of encouragement and uh, sometimes other means have uh, encouraged myself or, and Pastor Nick and, and each other. We keep each other going and even when there are difficult times. The application, what can you do to refresh the hearts of other Christians? And finally, even though we haven't really gotten uh, to Onesimus in the verses, first seven verses, we see he's the one that carried this letter back. So Onesimus moved towards reconciliation, well, by approaching Philemon. In this case, but literally coming to him. And so often, you need to have that first move. Somebody needs to take that first move towards the other person, whether it's physically, emotionally, sending some kind of signal that I'm open to reconciliation. That can be risky. Think of how risky it was for Onesimus to come back. But he's approaching him, moving towards him. Could there be someone in your life that you need to move towards? You can't force reconciliation, 
but maybe at the right time in the right way, God was going to have you to, to seek to move towards them to be the one that initiates that process of healing. Fear and self-protection are always going to try to keep us away. Sometimes guilt and shame if there's something on us. But we have to ask who's going to be the one to take the first step. For our reconciliation, we praise God that he didn't wait for us to take the first step. That he was the one that took the first step for us. And Paul, Philemon, and Esimus, these were all three forgiven sinners. And our forgiveness and union with Christ, this is foundational to our reconciliation with him and then with each other. We'll be talking about this more, but I want to finish just by saying the one reconciliation that matters the most is your reconciliation with the Lord, being brought back together with him. And Paul, in another place, he writes this about reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we're supposed to be agents of reconciliation, to reconcile other people with the Lord. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21 gives a reason why that can be so. And if this didn't happen, there would be no reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, the one who took the initiative to come down, took our sin on the cross. And this is the only way for you to be reconciled with the reconciliation that matters most. And I implore you as well. The work has been done. It has been paid. Receive this reconciliation and have your relationship with God healed. And that will play out into your other relationships as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are the one that took initiative when we were hostile to you and turned away from you, you came and you approached us. That Jesus, you came into this world for our forgiveness and for our reconciliation. And you humbled yourself. You gave up your rights. You did the hard thing of dying on the cross in our place. Lord, thank you for calling us to yourself, for giving us this offer and imploring us to come to you, Lord God. And for those here that have responded to this and have received reconciliation, may we take joy every day in being reunited with you, with a reunion that will last forever. And Lord, may we all be agents of reconciliation for others. First and foremost, that they would be reconciled with you and know you as their Lord and Savior. And then also on the horizontal level, person to person, help us to take the initiative and to help there be reconciliation, and especially between believers. We give you praise, and we thank you. Thank you for coming for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.